The 2023 NFL season is about to kick off as expectations for the Seahawks continue to rise. Joining us to preview the upcoming year, analyze the team's strengths and weaknesses, and make our final predictions is Seattle sports media legend Danny O'Neill. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my ilurophilic producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? You got me stumped on that one, Jackson. I'm, uh, I'm doing well, man. How are you? It's someone who loves cats. That's true. That's true. I do. The bane of my existence, and yet <laughs> you've got a couple. You got a couple of the doctor's office right now, right? That's right. That's right. But uh, yeah, man, we're doing well. <laughs> Football season is officially here, and you are officially forty. So I want to wish you a happy birthday. Hey, thank you, man. I did it. I made it. <laughs> forty years old. Had had an amazing celebration this weekend. My every time I think my wife can't outdo herself, she does. Uh, the party was incredible and, and I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be 40. You know, my, my twenties were better than my teens. My thirties were better than my twenties. I got no reason to think that the forties won't continue that trend. And, and I'm excited about this show too, man. Like I can't believe how much ground we've covered over the off season without any real full speed football. But now the wait is finally over. The highly anticipated 2023 season is mere days away, and we're going to cannonball into our season preview in a moment. But first, I want to welcome back those of you who have made the healthy decision to disengage from football over the summer and who are now back to join us for the season. In case you missed it, we got our own cigars now, and you can order them directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link, place your order to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, as many of you have, and we'll send you the details directly. There's also a link in the show page on whatever platform you're listening to us on. When I say that these are elite cigars, I mean it. The same blend, when they're banded and branded by their manufacturer, sell for $35 to $40 per cigar, but they're allowing us to hook it up for y'all with a bundle of 10 for just $169. That's less than half of MSRP, and it comes with a Bovita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. We'd also love for you to check out our YouTube channel where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow, so we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. But now, it is time to get down to the business of getting down. We are thrilled to be sitting down with one of our favorite people to preview the upcoming season, when it comes to Seattle sports coverage, he's just about done it all. He covered the Seahawks for both the Seattle Times and the Seattle PI and co-hosted Seattle sports talk radio shows for 710 ESPN for nearly 10 years. He currently authors a must-read daily newsletter called The Dang Apostrophe and, perhaps most importantly, has been a constant friend of this show, most recently joining us to react in real time to Seattle's draft in April. He is Danny O'Neill. Danny, thanks for hopping on. Well, I'm very flattered at what was uh, an incredibly kind introduction. It's great to be here with you guys. Thank you. Very it's much. a well-deserved one, man. No, you guys are very. I appreciate the rounding up too for nearly ten years. Like that's that's that that's that's when you that's when you know that they're being nice to you when they round up. For you. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you're you're in New York now. You've been there for a minute. How's it treating you? 
it is good. It, it's it's extraordinarily hot this week. Uh, mm. We got mm-hmm. it's it usually starts to get fallish right about now. We're ten to twelve degrees hotter than we normally are, which means okay. the tennis players are suffering out there at the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah, you've you've been able to get over to the U.S. Open too. I'm super jealous about that. It's a blast, man. I so I grew up. My dad was a tennis fan. My dad loved watching okay. the majors, but for for really most most of I, I've never covered tennis as a journalist and i i was vaguely aware but was not an avid fan and then two years ago we went um for one day and then i was like we got to go back we went back and watched the final that year which was radicanu and Layla fernandez and then each year since then we've gone a couple days to the tournament it's a blast i i i've become great. tennis guy i i'm i'm kind of getting there too i'm kind of getting there too uh but we are here to have you preview some football and i want to start by looking at the Seattle offense, because I think this is the most interesting group they've had on that side of the ball in a very long time. Uh, it's funny because the reputation of the Pete Carroll era Seahawks is one of running the football and playing great defense. But the reality of the last few years is something totally different. The defense has been mostly tolerable, but not dominant. The offense has been in the top half of neutral script pass rate as well for the last few years. So do you think we see more of that this season or is a return to ground and pound ball control football on the horizon? They're always going to try to run the ball. Mm-hmm. But what you cited there, the neutral passing, neutral down passing situation, like mm-hmm. opting for the pass in neutral downs, mm-hmm. being more aggressive on fourth down. I, I think yeah. I think we are we are seeing that Pete Carroll tailored their offensive approach to the quarterback. I, I yeah. think I think a lot of what they did that we have chalked up to Pete being old fashioned over the final three or four years specifically of Russell Wilson's tenure was more sort of Pete catering to what he thought his quarterback would accentuate his quarterback strength sure. as sure. opposed to what he wanted to do. They, they want to run the ball and throw it deep. Like he is not, he, he does not want a, a timing passing game. He doesn't want it. Sean Payton's offense is his passing offense is I think, largely the antithesis of what what Pete wants like he wants when they throw mm-hmm. the ball downfield he wants to throw it yeah. deep and so i think that's that's sort of the component that's what they're working toward drafting charbonnet in the second round is to give them a between the tackles runner that and 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 have kenneth walker as as kind of the more explosive bigger guy that can get to the outside and really once he once he gets to the edge turn up field and go but I do think that we are going to see an extension of last year, which is they're going to throw the ball more and they're going to do it in neutral situations and they're going to be more aggressive on fourth down. I, I, I think that's a reflection of, of the, the personality that Pete wants this offense to have. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the aggressiveness on fourth down because I, that's something that I've been clamoring for for a long time. And I mean, look, I grew up in the Madden generation, uh, you know, and, and the analytics certainly speak to it, but it's not my job security on the line, right? You, you don't have to answer for the fourth down decisions that go well, but you're going to spend a week answering for the ones that don't. So that's, so. so that's the weird thing is that Pete has enough job security that that shouldn't be an issue, right? Like, totally. Yes. Pete, yes. Pete legitimately, At this point, absolutely. Pete legitimately doesn't care what people think about his strategy. Yet mm-hmm. a lot of his fourth down decisions are very much like someone who would care about getting second guessed. And 
look, it's a mystery. There, there is part of him that is is old school about that. He likes to pin him back deep. Where I think most of us look at today and say, yeah. we probably fo- football guys have always kind of had a blind spot of wanting to punt, but over the past twenty years, it's even become more shifted toward possession is what matters not field position right like yeah. you the 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 idea of 30 yards of field position is drastically outweighed by the the opportunity to extend a possession to to not totally get it and Pete doesn't seem to get that although i would say last year you saw more aggressiveness which has caused me to wonder if if some of that was predicated around the quarterback a little bit and I, there's going to continue to be sort of me trying to unpack how much of what Pete did with Russ was Pete doing what he thought was best given yep. the quarterback he had and how much was Pete dictating to Russ? Cause Russ clearly would have wanted to go for it more often. This is kind yeah. of the, how much of a parent was Pete saying like, no, you can't have all totally. the dessert because you need to eat your vegetables. And we actually, we need to make sure you have a, a more well-balanced diet than you think. Well, and, and, you know, I think the, since we're on the subject, I think the fourth down conversation has a lot more to do with first and second down than than we tend to uh, talk about, you know. And you look at the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year and how they both approached the Super Bowl. They are not trying to win on third down. And Pete Carroll has always talked about how important it is to win on third down. I've believed for a long time you should avoid third down. Like third down should be a last ditch option for getting a first down. And you look at the Eagles and the Chiefs. You see with the Bengals and the Bills, they don't have a lot of third downs because they are trying to get first downs on first and second down. And as something that I really appreciate, but they also have great offenses. All of those teams have great offenses that you can really count on. You can't just do that with, with an average or, or a bad offense, but you know, that circles back to talking about this offense as a whole. And as the quarterback, you know, I, I think they're going to be good enough this year to be really aggressive on first and second down and, and put themselves in a position where, you know, yeah, we'll use all fourth downs if we need it, but let's try to not need them. Let's let's try and get these first downs early in the drive, uh, as opposed to just trying to suck up as many uh, seconds as we can a game clock and and try and convert three straight third downs in order to score. Yeah, and some of this is going to depend on Gino. And mm-hmm. is Gino going to take a step forward from where he was last season? Is he going to play like he did the first half of the season? Is he going to play like he did? I would say the second like the final yeah. seven games or so. Um, for me, the biggest questions with with the quarterback are going to be ball security. Like how mm-hmm. how does does he take, he needs to take better care of the ball than he did down the stretch uh, yep. of, of the season. I think he's capable of doing that. Um, I don't really know if, if you, it, I think it's most likely that he's about what he was last season. I don't see, it being something where he... I think that might be good enough. Oh, yeah. It could, yes. If their defense is better and and he is about... Yeah. Yes, I think it could be. I think their their offense is going to be more explosive with the rookie receiver, with the rook, a, a second young running back. I, I do think that they can be a significant factor in the playoffs, especially in an NFC that's, that's really wide open. And if he does take a step back, do you then have a little bit of Drew Locke? Like, I, I don't think it's outside of the question that we end up seeing Drew Locke at some point this season, whether it's because of injury. I think it would have to be because of injury. But if there is if there is a stretch, you know, one, one thing I'm kind of looking forward to uh, 
uh, this year is now that we're a year removed from the trade, uh, you know, last year so much, it wasn't just about what Geno Smith did. It was what he did thrown into stark relief of what Russell Wilson was doing. And, and that's, that's fine. It was natural. I I've got no issues with how much we contrasted that last year, especially because Seattle had the picks, you know, mm-hmm. so how Russ and Denver performed mattered directly, not just from like an ex-girlfriend standpoint, but this year it's now it's just Gino's team. And I'm really looking forward to being able to talk about this team that way. And yeah, I, I think he was so good and is getting paid enough money now that it would take an injury to get Drew Locke on the field. But Drew Locke's had an excellent preseason. Mike and I both said uh, on our last show, we're more comfortable now if he has to play a month, if if Gino gets hurt and misses four games that Drew Locke could go to and two. But I think to your point, you know, adding Jackson Smith and Jigba, adding Zach Charbonnet, letting the offensive line, uh, those two tackles get a full NFL season under their belt. I think the same Geno Smith as last year makes this team like 20 makes this offense 20% better than they were last year. And 20% better makes them really fucking good in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially so, with the way the conference looks. I, I I think that's true. Yeah. The the yeah. defense need, the de- defense needs to be better. The defense should be better. Um given both the money they paid and the and the picks that they that that they've used. So, yeah, I I would I would say that that's that's a pretty you if you want Gino to play take a little bit better care of the ball than he did the final seven games of the season. But he provides that sort of the willingness to take some shots downfield. He can execute the offense on time. And, and that's, that's going to, if you get the same overall level of play from him last season, I think that you're very pleased. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned this near the top, but one of the most popular clips in our show's history came when you were with us for the draft a few months ago. And we reacted in real time to the selection of Zach Charbonnet. <laughs> and right before the pick happened, I mentioned that Charbonnet was still out there. And I believe you said, and I quote, I'm going to be pissed. And then they <laughs> took him. <laughs> they took him. And, and you know, it was, it was just so funny to react to that uh, as it happened and, and to get your perspective. Uh, but we've had some time now. To see not only how the rest of the draft fell, but how the offseason is shaken out. Do you still feel the same way? So it's strange when you feel that way about a draft pick because my feelings about that don't have anything to do with the player. <laughs> like sure. It's, into, it's entirely yeah. about the position. So you get into this sort of awkward situation where I actually like how Zach Charbonnet plays. I I actually like the player, but yep, I but I hate the pick. So opportunity cost once, once it's made though, there's kind of this, well, I hope it works out. So if you would ask me, does my opinion of the draft pick change? No, I still think that it's silly how frequently Seattle uses high end draft picks on running backs, but am I less pissed? Yeah, I am. Cause I want Zach Charbonnet to play well. I, a similar thing happened with Rashad Penny where I was like, Hated the pick, but yeah. now that it's made, like you, you got the the play has been called. It's your job to go out and execute. So I'm like, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he makes me eat my words. I hope that it that it does pan out. He's a fun player to watch, man. Like you saw in the preseason, I'm yep. I'm not going to have a hard time rooting for him. But right, 
even if he, even if he wins rookie of the year, you're probably going to have me still explain like I still don't really like the value because yeah. of the position. Well, like I'm an annoying dude that way. Well, no, but one of the reasons we like having you on is and why I just like talking sports with you is because you don't get take lock. I mean, the the result doesn't change the process. We can still feel like maybe it was a misallocation of the resources, but I you know, I when it comes down to it, I just I believe in getting good football players. I think that there was a a cliff after uh, Zach Charbonnet at the running back position. Now, there's an argument to be made that that cliff doesn't matter that much, but I think it matters to Pete Carroll a lot. I think we've seen how this offense has struggled when they've been without their top running back, whether it be Chris Carson or Rashad Penny or Marshawn Lynch. And, you know, I don't think they wanted to just be relying on Ken Walker and a fifth rounder. You know, going into the season, I think they want someone that they can really say, hey, we need a drive from you right now. We need you to be able to do everything. And I think Charbonnet is is that guy. I've also come around a little bit to it just seeing how the running back position has fallen. And it's it's pretty much if you don't have a, a running back on a rookie contract, you're in a tough spot if that guy is good. And if you're going to rely on running backs on rookie contracts, you should probably get good ones. It is wild to think that Shaq Thompson, when he was in college, basically said, do not play me at running back. I mm. do not want to play running back. And how correct he was for the financial, like that totally. was such a good financial decision for his future. It's strange. I it's probably a $30 million spread. It's for him. wild. It's, I mean, yeah. and every time it happens, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott. Each time one of these guys gets a contract, like I was saying, it doesn't make sense for you to do that. And it turns out to not make sense to do it. Like the team ends up underwater of it. It's it's the brutal realities of the position. Here's it, what it I like most about the Charbonnet pick and just Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks do observably suboptimal things. We've mentioned the fourth down decision-making, yeah. the tendency to pick running backs higher than most sort of contemporary position analysis would suge- suggest to be done. He does these things that are like observably like suboptimal, and yet he consistently wins. And it's like that contrast, and I, I've had people who work in analytics have been in the NFL or around the NFL. And it will say like Pete does the exceptionally hard things really, really well. And he fails to take care of the easy advantages. Like that's their sort of mindset of like, if you could get him to make the right decisions about fourth down punting about draft position value and these sort of things, like imagine how good he would be. And there's part of me that thinks, well, maybe he's that good because he goes in an opposite direction that he sees something or understands something that we don't yet see we don't yet understand and i i guess that mystery that sort of uncertainty is part of what i find really intriguing about sports in general and totally. and the seahawks in particular like i like the idea that they go against the grain like do you remember the draft in 2012? (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. like they made the single stupidest pick in the first round when they picked Bruce Irvin. Then they got some linebacker from Utah State. They drafted a short quarterback, some guy from Southwestern State. Nobody knew what even state it was in. And it was one of the best drafts of the past 25, 
you could put it up there with one of the best drafts ever by a GM. Absolutely. So it's fun. <laughs> you like you like having people that go against the grain. No, I I I do. And you know, if we zoom back in on these two running backs, because I've I've got some thoughts on their roles and. They're a little different than what I've heard a lot of prognosticators think. But do you see Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet as 1A, 1B? Do you think it's a clear backup situation? Do you see it as, hey, we're going to have Walker in for these specific roles and Charbonnet in for these other ones? How do you see it shaking out, assuming health on both uh, for both players? I think you're going to see Charbonnet used in four-minute situations and maybe in the, the two managers like we'll see how it pans out i could see charbonnet being the guy that they want um it looks like he's pretty good catching the ball out of the backfield like i'd be really curious great i'll be curious to see, I, i'll be very curious to see which one of those guys is in for their hurry up i do think he'll be the finisher that they try to use like pete mm-hmm. like pete's always loved to have a tandem of running backs like reggie bush and lendale white like he's liked having that that different yep. styles and i think he'll see that i think you'll see Kenneth Walker being someone that they they try to use in the same way they did Penny of give him some stretch runs, give him some 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 of the where where you get him to the outside and try to let him make one cut and go that he's a bigger back but he's also got some some pretty high end speed. So I think they're going to have different roles for them. Um and I and I, I I you'll see Charbonnet more between the tackles and I think they're hoping that Kenneth Walker will be more of a big play threat. I see it differently. I I think this is going to be Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon. I think it's going to be Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams. Once once the the coaches feel that Charbonnet fully understands the playbook and and has adapted to the NFL because everyone needs that time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be sixty percent uh, Kenneth Walker out there first, second, third down. I think it's going to be thirty percent Zach Charbonnet first, second, third down. And we're going to see Kenny McIntosh and DJ Dallas picking up the other 10%. Um, I think Pete Carroll wants to have his running back on the field for as much of a drive as they have the endurance for because it, it, it's not a tell. When you have these backfields where it's a clear split between the receiving guy and the two down grinder, it's a tell on, on what you're most likely to do on that given play. And I, I think, you know, what, what I appreciate is that Charbonnet graded out better in college last year at the things that Walker struggled with at the NFL last year. Catching mm-hmm. the ball, running between the tackles. Kenneth Walker was awesome running between the tackles in college. He, he Doak Walker award winner. Mm-hmm. You know, 300 carries, 1,600 yards, a billion touchdowns. Michigan State runs it between the tackles. So he can do that. I think he struggled with what a lot of really talented rookies struggle with when they first get the NFL and realize the gaps in between the tackles aren't as big. And I'm used to being the fastest, quickest guy. I'm going to bounce this outside. You just can't do it in the NFL. Ken Walker knows that I'm sure he's had that hammered into him this off season. So I, I expect to see more decisive running from him. And uh, I, I do think they want him to be the main guy. Uh, we could do a whole show just on the running backs, but I want to keep it moving to the wide receivers because one thing that I believe strongly in life and that I've had it on the show is the idea putting more wind in your main sail if you're trying to get somewhere faster. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we tend to hyper-focus on addressing weaknesses, right. but making a strength stronger can be a force multiplier, and that's what Seattle did with their receiving core this year. They took the consensus number one wide receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigma in the first round, 
going to put him out there next to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Obviously, JSN is still dealing with the minor wrist fracture he suffered in the preseason, but he looks pretty close to getting back out there. In your opinion, just how good can this trio be? If Tyler Lockett stays healthy, mm-hmm. I think I could see it being the most prolific trio in the league because of how they oh, fit together. I think so, too. Tyler's, and it's not, because I want to say, Tyler plays. Like, I mean, that dude doesn't miss games. But I think that we've all seen a difference in Seattle's offense when he's healthy and when he's and and when when he's he's sort of toughing it out to get out there. And if he stays healthy, what that does for everybody else, because he is such an incredible downfield threat, and you know you're in for. <laughs> I mean, DK Metcalf is such a physically imposing and like he forces a defense to to account for him and basically try to lean on him. Like he, he's he's an all he's an all day sucker for anybody that has to deal with him. But then you've yeah, got this guy who is ruthlessly efficient in Tyler Lockett, where if you don't pay attention to him, the 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 efficiency that he operates at, given the 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 how how deep many of his completions are is wild and for a long time i was like well that's just he and russ but it's not like he is he's just a devastatingly effective receiver and then you throw in a a third player who has that sort of top end ability i do i do think that is the strength of this team the single biggest strength is the trio of receivers that they have and the only totally thing agree. that I hang on it is that that is something that is subject to change based on based on health. And and I I banned myself from getting excited over Jackson Smith and Jigba the entire offseason. Like I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going through it because I think that you end up focus for all sorts of different reasons. You end up focusing on receivers and young receivers and what they might be. And it's misleading. It's just misleading. And I finally was like, holy crap, this guy looks incredible. And he braces, like gets a fracture in his hand. So I, I'm i really excited about how he looks. It sounds like the injury, I mean, the fact that he was back practicing last week, whether or not he plays in the season opener is a really good sign. It's a really remarkable group. Last year, you had a real hard time ident- identifying. Marquise Goodwin emerged, but you had a real hard time identifying depth at that at that position. Now it's, yeah. very, it's very clear. You've got three really high-end targets. So after those three targets, there's a little bit of a question mark right now. Bobo, Young. Bobo mania. There we go. There we go. So that's I, I'm Four curious. That's what the people 40. want, man. Uh, all the people want. They just want Bobo. Before we before we dive into this, I'm curious. Jake Bobo, are you guys aware of what Jake is short for? No, I am unaware. His legal name is Jackson Bobo. <laughs> it isn't. It is. I swear to you. I swear to Let's God. Go! We got a we got a YouTube comment that uh, enlightened me on that on that piece of information. So shouts to on, uh, Luma Star Productions on YouTube for that for that little nugget. But we've got Jackson with a K. So my first question, Jackson, is no K still okay? No K is still okay. We still got two in the hive, baby. That's we still huge. got me and and JSN. We, there you go. We're, we're holding it down. So we we got room. We got room for a traditional Jackson. There you go. There you go. Well, then my next question is how comfortable are you if Jackson Bobo ends up getting seven targets in week one? 
think that's a, that's that, a bit aggressive for sure. But if you know JSN doesn't get not back, playing. Yeah, oh, I mean that's out, that's the only suspended. that's the only way that would be acceptable. It's not a great sign. Um, <laughs> it, it's not a great sign. Se- seven seven targets would be very very heavy. Um, yeah, but I also think that one of the things that gets overlooked at receiver is the idea of really productive players who don't meet physical specs getting overlooked in the draft process and you end up missing some really good football players because there's a market inefficiency there for sure 100 percent um whether it's hunter renfro whether it's doug baldwin um i will say that my willie bloomchrist radar goes off with philip bobo because i'm like is everybody going to go nuts because he's a white wide receiver and they want to see him make the team and and everybody but i liked bobo in college like i, I what did really, cameroonie call him on on twitter slow juravicious <laughs> yeah, which is which is really funny juravicious is he was pretty <laughs> i think he was pretty i think he was a first round draft pick when he came yeah, out. But yeah, yeah i do yeah. like the no. name slow juravicious um seven targets is heavy like yeah. that's 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 here's a the lot thing. Of, that's here's a lot. the thing if if JSN can't go or if Lockett gets hurt or they're they're kind of siloed back into two great wide receivers and then the rest the, the thing they get to fall back on is they were really good in 12 and 13 personnel last year like really good their tight ends combined for over a thousand yards receiving last year i think i don't think it's trying to shoehorn uh bobo or eskridge or Derek young or anybody into that role i think it's more colby uh more noah Fant, more will disley because it's the reason so many offensive coordinators recently have been moving towards multiple tight end sets is because tight ends have gotten really good mm-hmm. and you can do so much more. They're, they're, they're kind of the, the, the Queens on the, on the chessboard where they can block, they can catch, they can move around the formation and Seattle's got three guys who can do all of that. So I think that's probably what we end up seeing more of if they don't have all three wide receivers ready to go. It, it's a bad sign. Like I'm gonna say, I want to see Colby Parkinson have more targets this season than Philip Bobo. <laughs> like I, yeah. that that would generally be. But in one game, you never know how it plays out. Like I don't, I don't hesitate. Uh, the single worst comparison that I've ever made for the tight end is talking about the tight end as uh, the tomato of the offense, and sure. you're not sure yeah. whether he's a fruit or a vegetable lineman <laughs> or a receiver. And I believe this, as, as, as one member of the of the yeah. Seahawks offensive line told me, that is the corniest stuff I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> you need to leave now after after I ask that question. Well, let's, let's talk about the O-line because everything that we're talking about doesn't happen unless – the O-line performs, right? This is an admittedly young group, but they showed a lot of promise last year. They've got the two young tackles, and Charles mm-hmm. Cross and Abe Lucas, but the interior of that line struggled for stretches last season. What's your confidence level that this year's O-line can be at least league average? Yeah, I, I, I think they I think they have two above average tackles. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think, And I think that they're going to have an upgrade at center because I think that Blythe was for as much... For as important as he was to have someone who understood the offense like he did with two rookie tackles, he was a real, he just got pushed around. Like he was, mm-hmm. he, centers, centers are undersized, 
but even even given that he was small even given that so i think they're going to have they're going to have an improvement there and i i just the two most important positions there are your two tackles and i think that those guys were good last year and i think that they're going to be i think both of them are going to be above average and abe lucas might even be one of the better right tackles in the league as soon as this year. I was he was really, last year. Yeah, I was he, really He just was last him. year. He was really no, good. it's it's crazy. I'm I'm honestly kind of rooting for Oluwatimi to win the center spot so they can move uh Evan Brown over to guard, which is where he was really good at in in Detroit. It's great that he can play center to start, but Phil Haynes has shown shown promise. Uh we like Damian Lewis, but I don't think either of those guys are like true game wreckers on a week in, week out. Uh, basis, I would love to not be fully reliant on those two um, inside of Cross and, and Lucas this year. Do you miss the days when Seattle used to convert a defensive lineman and have him oh, play center for the team? No, man. I was like, <laughs> I would just be screaming during the draft to keep Tom Cable out of the war room. <laughs> I can fix him. <laughs> yeah, you could fix him back when you were allowed to freaking chop block engaged defenders and gouge eyes and pull face masks and play Tom Cable offensive line, but you can't do that anymore. Stop. Stop it. I am so happy. I'm so glad you said that because I am so happy that Seattle just drafts offensive linemen now and plays them at the position that they were good enough to get drafted at in college. One of my favorite calls I ever got when I was at 710 was Roger from Tacoma who called in. He goes, I want him to draft a guard, just a guard. I don't want it to be a tackle they're playing at guard. I don't want it to be a defensive lineman that they're committed. Just draft a guard, a regular old meat-eating guard. And I could, I, could, I could feel Roger on that one. Yeah, but this guy was good at basketball in high school. <laughs> We did. I can, I can, I can Basketball teach him. Basketball player play tackle. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So we think they can be. We think they can be league average. What's their ceiling? If it if it coalesces, is this a potential for a top ten offensive line? Maybe a little higher. Because there's not a lot of good offensive lines out there. No. To be completely honest, the the athleticism gap between D line and O line has gotten so big. No, but I think they're capped by you've got some inexperience at center. Yep. Like totally agree. The, Having having a, a an offensive line that is in the middle third of the league is is a great is a great step for this team because you feel you have those tackle positions sort of locked down and yep. and that's for me the the most important is you have the two most valuable positions on that on that line are solved for the foreseeable oh, future. Man. What a relief! Yeah. How many teams can say that honestly? Five. It's a Maybe? it's a huge one. And honestly, drafting drafting cross at nine. Like you, you, you should expect to get a good starting tackle there. Getting a Lucas, getting the player that a Lucas looks like he is in the third round, could go down as one of the bigger the the bigger steals in 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 Schneider. Certainly in the post two thousand twelve draft Schneider era. No, I I I agree, man. I mean that that has been you know in in twenty thirteen when they won the Super Bowl, they had the highest paid offensive line in the league, and they could do that because. All of their future Hall of Famers were on rookie contracts. That's never going to happen again. Yes. I mean, they, they might get a little bit close with these last two draft classes, but we're not going to see that again. Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner and Richard Sherman and Doug Baldwin, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, all of these guys were in their rookie deals at the same time. It was insane. And since then, you know, they paid all those guys, which I was mm-hmm. totally fine with, but that came at the expense of the offensive line. To just be able to have a good one now 
lets you do so much else. So I'm really, really excited to see how that goes. I, I do think that's that's the linchpin. It is for most teams, but it's it's definitely for Seattle. If if they're the twelfth best offensive line in football this year, I think they're a top five, top six offense in terms of points per drive. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And the other the other thing is is that you're going to have less sacks because of the quarterback. Like I I do believe that sacks is they a quarterback will. stat. And for a long time, I think that because of the playing style of, of Russell Wilson, offensive linemen would agree with you on that. Hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, that's that's the reality. And guys, guys would say this. Guys would say this back when he was a younger player. Of like, hey, there's there's a certain amount of of our performance that looks our prote- our pass protection looks worse than it is because of the way our quarterback plays. And yeah. I I do think that you you now have a more normal offense and. In that you've got it's a young nice. and developing offensive kind of line nice. that is going to going to be getting better, and I think yeah, like the middle third, if you're and closer to ten that you get is is, but I, I would see ten is about the ceiling for this group. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like a a basketball team for a long time where you can you could put a good team around a player like uh, I think Russell Westbrook was kind of the comp for for Russell Wilson, you know, where it's like he's good enough to say you know just give him the ball, and, you know, and I'm talking about in in Westbrook's prime. Just give him the ball and let him do. We'll live or die by by what he does. But it was a lot of it was out of structure. It is nice to see an offense that is built around structure. They've got an offensive coordinator who is extremely structured in how he wants to run things. Uh, but I do want to switch over to the defensive side of the ball, and I want to talk about them a bit more holistically, just because there's a lot more moving parts. You have a lot more substitutions on defense. You're running different formations uh, and all that kind of stuff. But last year they struggled with identity. They overhauled the scheme. And obviously you had the unexpected breakout from Tariq Woolen. You had some solid play elsewhere, but outside of what was a brilliant stretch in October, this was a pretty inconsistent unit given all of the moves that they've made this offseason on that side of the ball. I mean, a ton. How are you feeling about Seattle's defense as we get ready to kick off the year? I'll be very interested to see how that front seven looks. Man, um, I'm worried. Yeah. I mean, they've got, you you see what the template's been, which is that they're going to have a rotation of s- sort of athletic, fast linebackers that they put yep. at the edges, and they put a lot of stock in Jaron Reed kind of being able to hold down uh, one of the interior line positions. They they need to be better at stopping the run, like that. That is they the, do, and they got smaller. Yes. Which, they got smaller. So that's an interesting, because Seattle's always been a weird defense, right? It's never yeah. been fish nor foul. Like it's, uh, they played a four, three scheme, but used three, four personnel. Now they're fully in a three, four scheme and committed to doing that. And because of that, some of the size. Now, the one thing it looks like they're not doing is that a lot of three, four defenses will have the enormo defensive tackle, which I guess like Monet kind of fits that. But but it seems like Seattle and going away from Big Al Woods has has kind of they they have shied away from that sort of format, which does make me wonder exactly how this how this is going to work. John Schneider has always been really good at getting 
sort of league average or above average play from veteran nose tackles. Like he's been able to, yep. without spending much money, find guys who really are good run defenders, whether it's Tony McDaniel, whether it's a Taba Rubin, like he's, he's really like, they've never spent huge draft picks or a lot Quentin of money. Jefferson. Yeah. Like they, they do a really good job with that. But then there's last year and you look at it and that was a year where I, I can't tell you why their run defense was as bad as it was. But that's as bad. That's as bad as I've seen their run defense be for that long a stretch of time. Like there have been times that they've struggled and had huge problems. They had they had problems the Super Bowl winning year. They went through about a month where they couldn't stop the run. But last year it seemed like it was something personnel related, right? Like it seemed well, like well, it, it, just... it was. We had we had your boy Dave Wyman on to talk about linebackers and. Yeah, <laughs> believe it or not, he did not mince words, and uh, yeah, he he was putting it on the guys up front. He's like, the linebackers were just having to take on free running blockers, right? Yes. Like the guys up front couldn't engage the offensive linemen, so they were getting to the second level and knocking guys off of their spots. And you know, one thing they have got smaller. I think the potential saving grace, the story. I can tell myself about how this defensive line is better despite being smaller is that they're slashers inside. Now, Draymond Jones being the, you know, the, the epitome of that. And, you know, I I've been tough in previous seasons on Pete Carroll and John Schneider starting to wonder if these older dogs could learn new tricks and, and they have proven me wrong. And one of the ways that they've deviated is they've never, to your point, spent money on interior defensive line. They just never have done it. And they haven't really used a lot of high draft capital on those positions either. And they went out and gave $50 million to a guy who kicked their ass in the season opener last year. So one way to keep offensive linemen from getting to the second level is by getting past them. And I think they've got some guys who can do that now. I like Derek Hall. Uh, obviously, uh, Boye Mafe, they're looking for a big jump. He's looked great in the preseason. He looks like he can actually beat blockers now, which he couldn't do last year. I think that's how they're going to have to win. They certainly have sort of, I think, shifted a little bit the type of guy that they're they're working with there. And the, in the addition of Draymond Jones, it was a huge deviation. There's part of me that wondered if there's a little, not panic, but like, hey, we we need to do something. Felt like different. it at the time, right? Like we're gonna th- we're gonna throw resources at this, and they also yeah. tried to they also tried to sign the defensive end. Uh, God, I'm blanking on his name from Arizona. He ended up going to Denver. Zach Allen. Yeah, and of look, trying to trying to add another guy. So it was clear they're aggressive. They are committed to the three four scheme. And there was part of me that wondered last year if they were just going to like, all right, it's not working. We're going to go back. Um, no, they're and, doing it, man. Yeah, and they, I do think that they they're trying to get disruptors. They're trying to get guys that are tough to block. Um, Michael Bennett was that right? Michael Bennett played a variety of positions. Was in in many ways undersized for especially when he was playing inside. But he was such such a difficult player to handle at the line of scrimmage. And, and I think they're believing that their athleticism and the disruptive ability is going to compensate for the fact that they are a smaller defensive line. I don't know what to make of Jordan Brooks. I know the coaches believe he's a special player and that mm-hmm. the way he runs and even, even Wyman like would, would say that like, it's hard to evaluate sort of what he's done or to sort of credit 
or blame him for some of the deficiencies in the run game because of how many free blockers he has to take on. But I've also felt that there are times he's directionally challenged and maybe doesn't have the best feel for where the ball is going. Then they went out and signed Devin Bush, who that's completely his rep. Like that's completely what Pittsburgh had decided is he just doesn't have a good feel for the game. I liked how Bush looked in the in the preseason. Like I thought he was aggressive yeah. and looked good. In well, coverage. and Wyman talked about how important that fresh start was. He he said the same thing when he went from Seattle to Denver. Even though, you know, he had earned a very good reputation in Seattle, it was like you get to a point where you just feel a little bit figured out, and you get a chance to go be an exciting new guy for a different team. You know, and and everyone's excited about you. And I'm hoping that's what we get from Devin Bush because I think he's going to have to play a lot of snaps. Did Wyman tell you what the Seahawks general manager said? Because when Wyman was a free agent, he went. they still had the weird plan B thing. So yeah. you got to protect a certain number of players. Dave wasn't protected. So he was free to go negotiate. It was basically, I guess you would say, like kind of the equivalent. I think you got like 15 franchise tags was kind of what the plan was like. Dave was not protected. He got to go yep. negotiate when Tom Flores heard with the contract that Denver had offered him. <laughs> Flores' reaction was, that's a lot of money for David. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Good for him. <laughs> and Dave's reaction was like, uh, thanks? I don't know. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, don't it ain't your money. Match that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, but, but no, with Devin Bush... Look, the most impactful thing that I saw, it was the first preseason game. He was out there on kickoff coverage, and yeah. none of the starters are playing. And I could see a situation like that dude was a top 10 pick, and he's yeah. out there playing special teams in the first exhibition game, and he made a beeline down. Now, granted, they didn't do a great job of blocking him. Nobody showed an interest in getting sure. in his way, and he blew up the receiver. But like the enthusiasm he played with, I was like, hell yeah. Um, yeah, he he looks rejuvenated. I'll be excited. I I think there's going to be there's I, I, there's going to be more havoc caused by this defense. I do have some questions about the the amount of size, but I think you're going to see a different and more aggressive defense, especially with the seven guys up front. What does the return of Bobby Wagner mean to this team? It's a great question. Um, it's a huge sentimental boost. I do have my own opinions about those things have tended to work better in theory than in practice. Um, here with when when sort of the veterans come back that it it's a nice storyline but doesn't end up they have they paid a little more money for this one like they've put more in having this work this isn't a flyer like they they brought him in here i think he will provide some 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 real leadership that's there like he's a guy that's really respected that understands what they're doing but there is part of me that's like you're going to want Jordan Brooks to like, you want Jordan Brooks to be your best linebacker, right? Like if he's healthy, yeah. he should be your yes. best linebacker. So there's a little bit of, I'll be interested in seeing how that plays out. It can't hurt. I'm just not sure that that's, if we get to the end of this season and we're like, Hey, this defense took a huge step forward. I don't think our explanation is going to be like Bobby Wagner was one of the most impactful players i think he's going to be an impactful leader but i think yes. if this defense is going to improve it's going to be because of the play of some of the younger players i think if that happens and jordan brooks kind of realizes his destiny as a first round pick we're going to hear about bobby wagner's influence on that development 
it, and that's a huge th- look. That's worth five million dollars right there. Like, so I'm not. I don't totally want to be. I I don't want to sound like I'm like. Hey, I don't know how. It's a good thing to bring him back, and he's not going to have any sort of negative thing. But if they're going to take that a step forward, it's going to be because he helps other guys unlock their potential. I think you're right about that, Jackson. Do the Seahawks have a top five secondary? They should. Right. Right. They should. And that's even without that. That's not counting on Jamal Adams to, to play a significant role. They should, man. Like Tariq Woolen is is a high end, is a high end corner, and Devin Witherspoon was the top. That was CB one in the draft, and those guys should be dominant from day one. Like he should, they they should have two of the very best corners in the league with a Pro Bowl safety in Quandre Diggs and a veteran in Julian Love, and then a potential if he's healthy and stays out there, absolute game changer in Jamal Adams. Yes, yes, man. I am so excited about the secondary. And they've they've been so spotty since really since it was time to give the LOB all their third contracts. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this is a group that could be around for a long time. Quandre Diggs remains criminally underrated. He's like the Tyler Lockett of the defense. Every year he's just a pro bowler, but no one talks about him. And, you know, we had Antonio Cromarty on this show and you know he, he was really great, close. man. <laughs> he was so good. He was really good. I he loved was that. Really good. Yeah, he was awesome. And, you know, he's he's close with Quandre, but he could not shut up about Tariq and Devin Witherspoon. And that I mean, it's one it's one thing for me to be excited, you know, it's it's one thing for someone who covers the team to be excited, but when you get a guy who was that good and who now coaches DBs for a living, uh to be that excited about these two guys, that gets me pretty hyped. Yeah. Witherspoon's going to hit people too. Um, I know. God, I hope I hope he gets healthy and gets in in the zone. It's just it's been weird vibes for him since he got drafted, being the the last pick to sign and then getting hurt, and now he's still not out there. He still hasn't played in the preseason. I I still am super super bullish, but man, I want to see that guy get up to speed quick. Yeah, I saw. I, I saw pictures saying that he practiced yesterday. Now yep. Monday Mondays in the game week is a weird practice sort of schedule. I would be surprised if he plays this week, given given how long he's been out with with the hamstring. But he should be. I mean, he should be a really good a really good starting corner. And I've, I think I've he, got faith in Trey Brown and and Michael Jackson to you know to hold it down until he's up to speed. And one of those guys is going to be coming in when they go to nickel because I do fully expect Witherspoon to slide inside as their yeah. as their nickel defender. Um but they got but, Kobe Bryant now playing kind of hybrid too. I mean, God, they got chess pieces, man. They they do. It'll be interesting to see how Bryant's role evolves because he certainly showed sort of a knack last year and like getting his nose in and and being able to play. It surprised me a little bit that they moved him to safety, but I think that they're clearly me looking too. for a way to get him on the field. Um, I know that they liked the way he played uh, in training camp. They they do have a lot of different pieces, and and I think that you're going to see, especially with Jamal Adams, I, you're going to see oh him play God. some linebacker. There's no doubt. I, about I was that. just going to say, I I think he's I think he's their linebacker now. Some some people have said that'll be weird to see if they do that. They're so small. Like if no. if if you're putting a safety at linebacker, like we just finished talking about what they're going to look like on the defensive line. And they're not undersized at linebacker by any stretch, especially with some of the guys that they have outside. But if you're talking about moving Jamal Adams, 
I don't know what to expect of this defense. Like, it, I, I think that there's a lot of different possibilities. It's it's strangely put together in that you've got one guy coordinating the coverages um, and then Clint, Clint Hurt, who's putting together, kind of really calling, he's the coordinator and calling the front seven. But they've got... They've got it's an it's an oddly constructed defense, and we don't have a lot of precedents for how they're going to use it. So I think we could see some. It could be a, a defense that is much different than anything we've seen. I I think in ten years we are going to see the NFL go the way the NBA has in terms of almost positionless football. I mean, clearly you're not going to have you know defensive tackles in the secondary. Nothing nothing crazy like that, but. I think in 10 years, the best defenses are going to have guys that can cover and can come up and hit. I mean, we're just seeing, we're seeing the size speed coefficient, you know, go up at an exponential rate in college. And I'm kind of excited if Seattle's getting in on the front end of that, because I, I do think in a decade, that is how football is going to be played on both sides of the ball. And if Seattle can start making that happen now, I think that's going to be really exciting. They just got to stop the run, right? I know. I know. I know. I know. We could say all you have to be able to stop the run. And like that was honestly my reaction when I heard that like Jamal Adams is gonna be a linebacker. I was like, well, that's a really interesting pass rush piece. I was like, boy, you might have it run right down your throat though. And for a team that struggled to stop that last year. Yeah, yep, totally. Well, and and you know, I'm excited to get some predictions here. So I want to zoom out a little bit and take a look at the NFC West. You know, the 49ers romped their way to the division title. And if we're being honest, they kicked the shit out of Seattle three times last year. They entered this offseason as prohibitive favorites to repeat in the division. But now with their bizarre quarterback situation, some key departures, Nick Bosa's holdout potentially dragging into the start of the season. The Seahawks have gained some steam in terms of their Mm -hmm. Vegas odds to win the NFC West. In your mind right now, how big, if any, is the gap between the 49ers and the Seahawks? I would say it's close to a pick'em for for the division uh-huh yeah starting to feel that way yeah and i i tend to think seattle is going to win the division but mm-hmm. i also recognize that i might have uh, a little bit of a bias in that regard um nick bose is going to play at some point yeah i kind of tend to think that he's going to be in before they get to the midpoint of the season but you really never know weirdly that the the trade of Trey Lance I don't think affects their season that much even though it really does kind of cast a question about the long term future for yep. for that franchise but in terms of the momentum certainly it feels it it things feel better for Seattle even if there hasn't been nearly as much like for the amount of turmoil it feels like the 49ers have faced like the biggest thing that happened really doesn't have it. Nobody expected Trey Lance to start. It was just weird right. that he got traded. Um, yeah, it's more of a downstream benefit to Seattle as their competitors because imagine if they had used those three first round picks to yeah. add to this to this roster, which I think is top three in the NFL. And then, of course, they traded the rest of their picks to bring in a running back. So I I think they're still really good for the next couple of years, but. Uh, they may be facing a Rams Saints situation here in a little bit, and and Brock Purdy's there out, right? If he is the guy, then you get him on literally the cheapest contract you can possibly have a guy on uh, for the next couple of years. But yeah, man, I'm I'm right there with you. I, here's your question for you: What positions do you think Seattle is better at than San Francisco? I think they're deeper at wide receiver. 
I think they're better at tight end, even though Kittle is the best tight end. I think I think Seattle's I think Seattle's got a got a pretty good trio of tight ends. Um, Are they better at quarterback? No. No, because I think I I think you can I think it's a push because with Brock Purdy, you don't have as much of a track record. But there's also the question of like how much of that was real and is he going to be able to sustain that? Did you get, did you get the benefit? I mean, you're talking about a half a season. So like two or three dropped interceptions can completely change how he looks. Gino has a a larger track record, but most of it is, is like you're going off of the brightest sort of results in this past off season. I would, I would say that's a push. Um, Offensive line, I like Seattle for the future, but San Francisco's might be better now because Trent Williams seems to be freaking ageless. Un- unbelievable. Man. Yeah, it's pretty he's like wild. he's like one of those one of those sharks that lives for like four hundred years, you know, and they're still apex predator. Dude, he's like, wild. Uh, one of my <laughs> not to get distracted, but one of my favorite kind of like NFL thought experiments is if if the Super Bowl is decided by every team sending one player into the Thunderdome, no weapons, <laughs> last man out, their team wins the Super Bowl. I think Trent Williams wins that. <laughs> Have you ever read the story about how he was attacked at a nightclub in Hawaii? No. He was attacked. It was before a Pro Bowl. Like, look up and read the story because he was attacked by bouncers in there. Somebody hit him over the head with a bottle of Ace of Spades, like one of those big, huge, like Mm -hmm. not like ridiculously large bottles. They also somebody, one of the people that attacked him, tased him, and and I I believe from what I read, he didn't go down. And I cannot imagine how terrifying it would be if you had a group of three guys who jumped a man, hit him with a over the the head with a bottle of champagne then tased him and then had him still coming after you like at that point wouldn't you be like i'm this out man's gonna like rip our <laughs> appendage he's gonna tear off my arms and beat me with them like, let's bring levi bell up from the practice squad in week 11 <laughs> to take him one-on-one good yeah. lord good yeah lord. yeah we'll have to talk about that another time who seattle sends out but uh here's here's the way i see it with them and the 49ers and and i do think the Rams and Cardinals are kind of afterthoughts this season. Uh, So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I I think this is a two team discussion. I think Seattle is better at quarterback. I think they're better in the secondary. Mm -hmm. I think they have a better culture and I think they're a little bit better at receiving counting tight ends in there. Although I'd say that's pretty even. I think San Francisco has the edge everywhere else. They got a better running back. They got better offensive line, better defensive line, better linebacker and better play calling. And, I I am with you that it's it's closer to a pick'em, but I mean, if there's a gun to my mama's head, it's 49ers to win the division for me. It's fair. It's gonna be fun to watch. I, I'm yep. ex- I, I'm really excited. And then the rest you, of the, the the rest of the conference. And who's the best quarterback in the conference? Like Jalen Hurts. See, I think it's Dak Prescott, but nobody's gonna say that. And, and he'd, Dak he'd played be number, poorly. He'd be number two for me. Yeah, he'd and Dak played for poorly yeah. for Jalen. I think I think Jalen is at the point Russell Wilson was after the second Super Bowl, in which you know he's good enough to be the starter on a team with a dominant defense and a strong running game. But there's still that question of if he is he your best player? Is is yeah. is he gonna be the best player on your team? Because he's going to need to be eventually. 
Like for to be a franchise quarterback, you have to. And I'm I'm not I'm not sure if he's I'm not sure if he's able to do that. There's no reason to think he's not. But he but he hasn't done that yet. But after of course, that, of course. After that, who's 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 the next guy? Who's he, the number? Who's yeah. the third best? Is it Kirk Cousins? Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins it, or Geno Smith? Is it Smith? Derek Carr? Yeah. I mean, and then I don't you get think into so. the, the the NFC is incredibly wide open, and it, a lot of that is totally because is. of the sort of there's there is not a dominant quarterback, at least not in the way there is in the AFC. All right, let's zoom, let's zoom out a little bit further. Let's talk about the NFC, and let's just do some rapid fire predictions, division winners. Let's start in the East. Who you got winning that division? Washington. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think it's the Commanders wow. taking down the Eagles. The Big Gi- Sam Howell guy. They were cr- they had three teams in the playoffs last year, and none of them were the Commanders. That's correct. Is it just I, just new ownership, new vibes, or no, the enemy? What they've got a dominant defensive line, and they do? and and I think that they do have a better culture with Ron Rivera, and I think that the rest of those, I think the rest of the teams in that division are perpetually overrated. I, I think I think Washington's winning the division. Love that. I mean, I hate it, but I love that call. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's the Eagles for me. Let's head down to the NFC South. Who's taking it? Probably the toughest division to predict because I yeah, think they all stink. I'll say the Saints. They get they get an upgraded quarterback. Vegas agrees. Yeah, yeah and their defense think, is awesome. They've yeah. got the weapons. I'll t- I'll take the Saints. I'm going with the Falcons. Really. That's the worst the, quarterback in the NFL, isn't it? Isn't isn't Ritter terrible? Ritter, I, maybe, maybe we'll see. I think it, I think that's the team that quarterback play will matter the least for. Yeah, that's that's certainly how they've designed it. Yeah, I think I think nine wins takes that division. I think the Falcons win nine. Uh, I, as much as he, his, the persona of Arthur Smith drives me crazy. I think he, I think he's just too busy winning to care yeah. about the other stuff. And, and he is, he is the banner carrier for positionless football. Yes. You know, I mean, they, they've got guys that can beat you every which way on offense. I don't think Desmond Ritter has to be great. I think he has to be 90% of Brock Purdy for them to win that division, uh, which I think he can be. So I got, I got the Falcons in the South. It's It's so bad. It's so bad. That's the thing. Is there. Both them and the Saints are going to get four. Should get four wins against the the Panthers and, and the Bucks. All right, NFC North. Who you got? This is the toughest one, according to Vegas. This is this is the one with the the tightest lines. I think it's the Packers because I think that Matt Lafleur is pretty smart, and I think He's that awesome. Jordan Love has a pretty high ceiling. Or I'm sorry, I'm I think that Jordan Jordan Love has a really high floor because of how well he runs. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they got the two running backs. I think yeah. Christian Watson is going to be a lot better than I thought he was going to be coming out of college. Defense is still good, and Matt Lafleur, I think, is a great coach. And now, now he gets to do things his way. Power struggles over uh, with his quarterback. I really like the Packers to be better than a lot of people think. I'm drinking the Kool Aid with the Lions. I think the Lions have the best roster in that division, which is crazy because. We haven't mentioned the team that won 13 games in that division last year. They don't the deserve to be mentioned. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I right. Well, 11 one-score wins or something a, like that. They're such a waste of time. Like, they win all these games, but they still got Kirk Cousins. And I feel like each year, it's like, we know Kirk Cousins is in there. We know what's going to happen. Like, you're going to need a play from him down the stretch of a close game. And surprise, you're not going to get it. Because Trevor Simeon got you closer to the Super Bowl than Kirk Cousins ever will. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm a Kirk guy. I am the, the resident Kirk apologist. But neither of us have them winning the division this no. year. Uh, we talked about the NFC West. You say the Seahawks. I say the Niners. We chopped that up a bit. Um, I do think that's going to be very, very close. I think uh, those two games they play end of November, early December, they're going to decide the division for sure. All right. So we got our four division winners. Who gets in the wild card? You get three more teams. For me, it'll be the the Niners. I'm going to say the Bears, which this is this is my all anti chalk sort of yeah. pick. Um, totally. And then and then the Cowboys. Okay, I've got I've got Seahawks, Vikings, and Cowboys getting in. I think I think Packers are on the outside looking in. Definitely think the Commanders are on the outside looking in. You psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> All right, AFC. Let's let's go back to the East. Who's winning the AFC East? The Jets. I I I'm surprised to report that the Jets is the hype just crazy over there. No, because everybody like Jets fans are well accustomed to having their hearts broken. So like Jets sure. fans are completely and like if you told them the Jets might be good this year, they'll give you. A, <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, I've I've found them quite endearing. Uh, surprisingly enough, I've become. I yeah. kind of like Aaron Rodgers. I kind of do too. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I kind of do I don't too. Know what All right, you got the Jets. I I still I still think it's the Bills. I I I think the end might be coming for the Bills, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's here yet. Um, and I. I, I think Miami makes it uncomfortable for them. All right, uh, AFC South. The AFC South is that's probably the one that is the hardest for me to pick. I I don't think it's Indianapolis just because I think that that as much as I like Anthony Richardson, I think that he's mm-hmm. gone too far to. Co- I don't want to pick Tennessee, but that's who I'm going to end up going with. I don't think yep. Tennessee's that good, but. I just don't think anybody in that division's better. I think Ryan Tannehill is a lot better than his reputation. I think Mike Rabel is probably bordering on a top five head coach. He's a pretty good head in, coach. I was completely wrong. In, about you know, him. I mean, really last good. year they were running out Josh Dobbs and Malik Willis yeah. and winning games. They almost won that division. All right. Uh I'm I'm going with the Jaguars. I, I think they got too yep. much juice. Peter King predicted the Jags as the one seed. Yeah. They they gave the Chiefs all they could handle in, in the playoffs they play last year. I, yeah. I think there's too much juice there. Uh all right. AFC North, another tough one. Man, these divisions are tough this year. AFC North is the is the Ravens, I believe. Same. We finally agreed on one. I can't believe it took us seven divisions. That's amazing. That's <laughs> because I'm I got I'm I got the Ravens too. Picks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And AFC West. AFC West is the Chiefs. Same. Same. All right. Your three teams that are sneaking in with the wild card. Bills. Nope. Bengals. Mm-hmm. Jaguars. Love it. I got the Chargers, Bengals, and Dolphins. Neither of us have the fighting Broncos in there. Ah, maybe next year. All right. <laughs> All right. Two more. Two more. Super Bowl. Who's in it and who did they beat in the championship games to get there? Super Bowl, I see the Super Bowl as Ravens. I should have a stronger answer for this. I see the Super Bowl as 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 Ravens, Packers. I don't like the Packers pick though. I don't like like a Madden sim. Yeah, Yeah. I'll go Ravens Ravens, Packers. Packers. Ravens love this. Love this, man. Danny just coming in from the top rope, steel chair. Yeah. <laughs> just wiping out the ring of expectations one by one. And I'll say All right. that the, the Packers beat the Seahawks to get in there. 
Okay. Seahawks are playing in the NFC Championship game. And Love that. and I think that I think the Ravens are going to beat the Bills in the in the AFC Championship game. Okay. I've got I've got a rematch in the NFC. I think I think the Eagles beat the 49ers without the excuse of a quarterback injury this time. I I think they thumped the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. I think the Bills beat the Bengals in in the AFC and we've got Eagles over Bills in a second straight amazing quarterback back and forth. I mean, the thing about about Jalen Hurts is his performance in the Super Bowl last year was I think easily a top 10 quarterback performance in Super Bowl history and and where it ranks among that can be debated. But he was so ready. He was yeah. so ready for that really moment. Good. He did not lose that game. Nope. All right. Last, second to last one. Who you got for MVP? I think the MVP is Lamar Jackson. Could be. Could I think be. The MVP is Lamar Jackson. I got Jackson. some money on him. I don't have the most money on him, but I got some money on Lamar Jackson. I, I think the Todd Munkin offense, all those receivers. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're going to open. I think he's going to put up goofy stats. I want to hear who, who you have the most money on. The, the guy I have the most money on was the guy who was the best player in football last year, Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts was the MVP until he missed those final two games. He they're gonna win. They're gonna go fifteen and two. He's gonna have thirty passing touchdowns and ten rushing touchdowns. It was his last year. Uh, I think I think he was so pissed they lost that Super Bowl. He is the definition of the first in, last out guy. He is he's the perfect leader. He's the perfect player, in my opinion. Um, and I, I think the voters are going to be a little bit tired of, of Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think it's Jalen Hurts this year. All right, all right. I know you got to get out of here. Thank you for sticking with us. But when we had you on before last season, the rest of us were anticipating a really tough year for Seattle. I thought I was being bullish, predicting seven wins. But you came in here and just as bold as you've been today, predicted the Seahawks would win nine games. <laughs> what did they do? They won nine games. We thought you were crazy. So. Oracle, <laughs> you got the Packers winning the Super Bowl. Yes, you've got them beating no, no, the Seahawks. I got the Packers playing the Super Bowl. Packers losing Ra- to the Ravens. Okay, Ravens beating the Packers. Packers beating the Seahawks. So we know you got the Seahawks the NFC Championship game. How many games they win in the regular season? They're going twelve and five. God, I love it. You got me by two wins again. I think it's ten and seven for me. So you're hammering the over nine and yes. a half. Yes. Have have love hammered. That. Have hammered repeatedly. Have hammered. <laughs> yes. We'll continue to hammer. I, I think I might be done. I think I think I might be done. Um, but yes, yeah, I'm I'm pretty bullish on the Seahawks. Oh, I love that, man. I love it. Well, listen, man, we did it. That is a hell of a lot of information to cover. We are super grateful you took the time to do it with us. Danny, before you get out of here, remind everyone listening where they can get more of your stuff. Uh, you can subscribe to my Substack. Uh, it's called the Dang Apostrophe. You can Google mm-hmm. it. It's also linked off of my Twitter or X. Uh, I think I'm also it on is awesome. Guy. Blue Sky and Threads, um, or if you just want to follow along, I'm also going to be writing some things about uh, a, a non-sports family memoir project that I have coming up. So I think the Super first cool, of those man. is going to come up either come out either later this week or early next week, uh, called the Lost Sports Writer. So yeah, oh, you can you can you can tune in for that. I can't wait. I'll be all over that. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thank you again to Danny O'Neill. The next time you hear our voices, the Seahawks will have played their first game of the season, and I can't wait to chop it up with all of you. Also, that means the articles will be back. Be on the lookout for the Cigar Thoughts in print form, same as they've always been. 
after each game concludes. Can't wait to get going with that again. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at Cigar Thoughts NFL. And on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to the show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars. Or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy those cigars, reach out on Twitter or Instagram with a pic and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Cigar Thoughts.